reading and preaching for you today from Acts 15, verses 1 through 21. Hear now the very word of God. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God's made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. And that, that, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the words of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this debate. Because through the debate, we are reminded that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. So, Father, we thank you that we have this truth before us. Help us to have our minds settled in the things that need to be settled and help us to have the patience 
to trust you and how you care for us and how you direct us, how you nurture us and feed us the goodness of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Same thing happened to me yesterday, right before I began my part of the wedding. My notes were all scrambled and backwards, but this time it did even better. It just deleted my notes, so they weren't that extensive anyway. So (laughs) obviously whatever I had prepared um, was not what um, I'm going to be able to follow through today. Well, a couple of things that I wanted to start with today... (laughs) was one, today is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are out there. Um, And again, I don't know how often it is that just because I'm dwelling on something in the passage and the particular theme that I see, that it just seems like it falls into a perfect parallel as I try to present the word to you faithfully. I'm not trying to impose too much of the themes of what's in my head or in the things that are around me, but I do believe that the Lord is very providential and very deliberate in how he presents things. And on this Mother's Day, I found that it's very encouraging and interesting that we would land in Acts 15. Being a true Presbyterian in heart, um, which some may want to debate, but I am very much still very Presbyterian at heart in how I believe that the Lord has organized the church. I love the church. I love how I see in the scriptures of how the Lord has brought forth a diversity of gifts of people and has organized them and brought throughout the history of mankind the beauty of the truth and doctrine of God in the church. And even the book that I gave to Maharus just a few weeks ago or a few months ago in thinking about him becoming an elder, I gave him a book by Doug Wilson called Mother Kirk, which talks about the structure of the church. It's a collection of, I think, sermons and articles and essays that break down how the Lord has organized the church. And the book is called Mother Kirk. And so historically, we see that the church, which is the bride of Christ, which for those of you that were there yesterday, you know, that's very much in the mind where I'm at right now. But as the Lord has called the church to further out the dominion of Jesus Christ, to be fruitful, it is to bring about the children of God and to nourish them and to teach them in the truth. And that mother church is a theme, it is a something that we should be thinking about this day as we are gathered Mothers and fathers and children gathered together in the church, we should think about how the Lord has cared for us with our mothers and how the Lord has cared for us in the church, both as in thanksgiving for what the Lord has given us and the riches of what we have in motherhood and the the different levels of motherhood that we have in our life and in the calling that we have and the posture that we have as we seek to be obedient to what God teaches us in the word about his church. So it's a good thing to be thinking a little bit more about the structure of the church in light of Mother's Day. Also, I was thinking here lately, as I'm finishing up, the, well, I've finished the work that I've been doing where I travel places to go and do install work, and I'm finally going to be able to just have one particular route to the most part 
every day of going to one location. One of the things that I've come into, and it seems like it's this week and week lately, on Knox and I on Monday, we were in West, where were we? Kentucky. We were in Kentucky, and we were supposed to go to a particular location. And I've gotten to the point where I have two different GPSs. I have the Google and I have iMaps. And I usually go with iMaps because it works with my iPhone pretty well. And iMaps here lately, it's, it used to be it was something like maybe a half a percent being wrong. Now it's getting to be kind of like 5 or 10% of being wrong wherever we go. And we ended up in a field, a junkyard, um, where we were supposed to be at this particular store. And I thought, oh, I did it again, you know, and it's morning, and I did, my, my coffee wasn't right, and I was grumping, so, oh, okay, so we'll go, to, we'll go to Google. So I did that map, and it sent us an hour and a half away. And so I called the lead of this particular job, and I said, I don't think this is correct. And they're like, no, it's not. So it's a good thing we didn't follow that when we would have gone over there. I'm like, we're without any kind of direction and instruction. And I started thinking, this is just so inefficient to be in this place where we cannot figure out which way to go. And I can just look in the room and think of stories. Moreau Roos and I were in Atlanta, and the delay in what was telling us, we were going down a four-lane, one-way road the wrong way one night in Atlanta after leaving the conference. And Roos is like, maybe next time we should, you know, I think he was basically saying, maybe next time I should drive. <laughs> we went to visit with, <laughs> with our family down in Atlanta. And we also, with the Thompsons, and we missed a section of getting together for church because it was a, a mile and a half down the road on the opposite side of the road. I say these things because it's frustrating when there's not good, clear direction. And we get upset that people have disagreements. We, we, one, one particular GPS said go this way, and one GPS told us to go another way. And here in this particular passage today, there's a, a disagreement, and it can be devastating to get our instructions wrong. In this particular passage, we can tell that in the um, Acts chapter 15, it's very crucial for the foundations of the church that there is the correct teaching about what salvation is. In the very beginning here, we see that there were those who came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised. Now, this is, these were those who were, and later on we see that there were, these were believers. These were people who were believing and trusting in Christ. It wasn't just that this was a group of Jews who de- denied Christ or rejected Christ. It says later that these were believers teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so it's devastating. It's like going down a one-way street (laughs) on the end of the day in Atlanta. You're going to die, and this is going to be a very bad end. If the church continues to teach this, we here in a gospel-believing church know that's not correct that is inaccurate, that is devastatingly wrong, and we know that it should be, just as Paul and Barnabas said here, have no small dissension and debate whenever anything is proclaimed like that. We must have better direction than that. We must get to a more clear direction so that we may be able to explain to people the path toward Jesus Christ. So today as we think about both direction and guidance and truth and the difficulties of that, 
the, the dangers of having the wrong understanding of things, and we think about this in light of Mother's Day, I want to think about five things in this particular passage for us to carry with us that is both things that we see from our mothers as we grow up, good mothers. Now, some of you may have not have had the benefit of having good mothers. Some of you may have the best mothers in the world. I think my children have the best mother in the, in the whole world. But these are things that are very parallel, both with mothers in the home and the mother of the church, for us to consider when we think about how the Lord, in his great grace to us, has provided us with the Mother Kirk. First of all, we consider through salvation. because These are all going to be S's, all five points. So we see the act of saving and teaching us about saving. We also see the sending. We see the sending of people in the church, both to go and to work out these difficult questions, some less difficult than others, and some very difficult, but there's the sending, and it's not just the sending of people for debate and discussion, but also the sending of people for the proclaiming of the good news and to encourage. So also the singing of God's praises. So we have the saving, we have the sending, we have the singing, and then I'm trying to remember what my note said. We have the something before solving. Solving's the last one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so saving, sending, singing. Um, what's that? Saving. Oh, you said saving, right? Yeah, saving, sending, um, singing, and then there's solving, and there was one more S, and maybe I'll get to it. Well, let's just move on. So you know the last one's going to be solving. And we see these things that our mothers do. And I heard, prayed from the Peters family of how their mother or the ones who helped them with their walk toward Christ, teaching them. It's typically, just as we see with Timothy in the New Testament, that this, the preaching of the gospel in its most firm and thorough discipleship manner happens often through the mothers. As much as my children have heard me preach in this pulpit and at the dinner table and in every circumstance that they run into in life, the discipleship proclamation of the gospel of the saving grace of Jesus Christ proclaimed in his word gets most rooted in their mind and thinking through the mother's teaching. And that particular approach is still word-centered, but that discipleship movement through the children. And so it's important for us as the mother court, the church, to encourage and equip and to strengthen our mothers because it is where these children are going to receive and understand the most thorough teaching about the saving work of Jesus Christ. Here we see that the very first thing that they run into is a major debate that would require people to come together, elders and apostles, to come together and to consider this matter was the issue of how are we saved? It is the most essential part because if we get that wrong, everything else is for naught. As Paul says, if it's not Christ and him crucified, 
then we're already, it's the first little step off that until you get back to that point, it is not going to be good. There is nowhere else to go that's going to help us if we're not rooted in that place. But there's a dissension, there's a debate. Typically we hear when we think about the fact that there's a lot of diversity in the church and disagreement in the church, it's usually a negative thing. And God in his providence here has allowed and ordained that there would be dissension and debate. One of the things that comes with dissension and debate and having to get clarification is that we are able to land in the right place. We don't just want to be unified. If, If I would have gone with the unity of being wrong with both of my apps, we would have not made it to our job site early in the week. But there had to be some clarity. There had to be more discussion. There had to be digging for the truth. There needed to be evidence that we could hold on to that would secure our direction. And the evidence was is that our project manager was at the right place, and he told us how to get there. And so we don't want to just have unity for the sake of unity. It is important for us to get clarity for the sake of falling in the right location. So when we hear about dissension and debate, it's not always a bad thing because it is important for us to understand that we want to be in the right place. So it's good to be patient, not to be quick, to go through the deliberation of what is necessary Maharus and I, again, meeting with two other pastors from one, a Reformed Baptist church, and another one, an Evangelical Free Church, that we have different understandings of things, but we're being patient with each other so that we can try to further into the right location of obedience to God in the church. And so we don't want to just say, you know what, we're just going to go in this direction, and we're not going to listen to anything else because we know that God wants us to be faithful, so we want to wrestle out these things. As I'm joking around with him, I remember Damon with this kind of gleam in his eye. He's like, yeah, this, we need to talk about that particular disagreement that we have. Not that he wants to have an argument, but he has this longing for both of us to get to the right location together. He wants us to arrive in, in, in obedience and faithfulness as brothers And so we should be patient in this, that God has ordained this, God has set forth this, that it is good for us to wrestle these things out. He could have just given us the measure of the Holy Spirit necessary for all of us to be unified. He could. He has that power and that ability. But he sought out that he would want us to go this particular path. He could have just had our children jump into maturity. I was talking to Dave about some struggles that we've observed from different adult Christians that seem to just have a hard time with discipline. And, and I said, William was sitting next to him. And I said, what, what do you think of William? Do you think he's a believer? And he was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so he's a pretty good kid. He's like, yeah, he's a good kid. Are you ready to give him a car and just tell him to go out and start doing his own thing? He was like, no, <laughs> that would be a crazy idea. It's, it would be a crazy idea, William. Because he needs to be taught and disciplined. And you think, why would the Lord have us that? Why not just zap William with, bam, <laughs> you know, he, he's got all that ability. This is what God has done in Saul, that his church is a growing church. 
And within his providence and his plan, it is a nurturing church. It is a growing church. It is a learning church. And that is why we are called disciples. We're students. We're not arrived at that particular location yet. And so when we think about the dissension, when we think about the difficulty and the debates, it is something that we should have a heartbrokenness whenever there is such division that there is no desire to come together, when there's such division that people are landing on things that are very clearly sinful, and we'll talk about that more at the end of this particular passage, but that we should be willing to be patient in going through that process of learning together, recognizing that we are all the children of God in a particular place of weakness, and that God has called them, called us, to send people and leaders in the church to go and to work some of these things out. It's a blessing that we have other brothers, not just in a a formal way, but also even thinking this week as we were preparing for this wedding, the associate pastor from Westminster in Johnson City did the beginning of the, pointing over there because it was right over there in that building, (laughs) did the beginning of the ceremony and just talking about things. We're from one moment talking about whether or not our voices would be able to be heard without amplification to the next thing about how to, to raise up children to the next thing about the beauty of Jesus Christ giving us the wedding feast as this wonderful communication of his celebration for his victory over sin. It was an encouraging time just in these little side conversations about the different things that we're called to be as his church. It's good to have that, and it's just a boost. I don't know the next time I'll see Bobby, but to have that kind of interaction with the broader body of of the church, it is good for us to talk to people that are not always on the same path and always on the same thinking Because it's a refreshment. These particular men who were called and sent, they were sent to try to work out some of these difficulties and disagreements. But notice what's going on in this particular passage. As they're going out and they're passing through, we're in verse 3 here, they're describing the conversions of the Gentiles. And it brought great joy to all the brothers. Not only in our homes do our mothers give us direction on what to do, but I know that it's in the home. In my particular home, it is Jennifer who has taught our children to sing, to sing of the praises of the Lord, to recognize the praise, the wonders of what God has done, and then to return that in praise. So as we are also being interwoven with the people in the broader church, it's not just to try to work out clarity, but it's also to Praise the Lord in what the things that he has done. That is why he has gathered us here together today. It is to proclaim the truth and the wonders and the deeds of what God has done so that when we leave here, there should be two things that occur. One, we should have, through the teaching of the word, a more clear understanding of truth. But we should also leave here with great joy. In seeing the wonders of what he has done, both in his word and also in the lives of one another. So there is this, this one, the saving understanding, which is essential, and then the sending that will bring us to a place of singing and delight in the Lord. 
It says that the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. And as they're in this, what are they doing? Well, Peter tells them he brings it back to God. He's always bringing it back to what God's word says, both in proclaiming the truth to remind them that it was always God's intent to save the Gentiles. It was always God's intent to cleanse their hearts through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And he says that this grace that's been given to us is what is going to be given to them. It is the same grace that saves. He is going back to what God has said, and he's going back to what God has done. And I love the fact that it's giving us this really great balance as as they continue to run into this debating issue when the fair, the parties of the Pharisees come in and say, it's got to be, you got to go back to the law of Moses. You've got to go back to circumcision. They, they, they're, they're fighting it. They're, they're trying to clarify it. They're going back to the word. But while they're doing it, they are praising the Lord. They are proclaiming what God has been doing. And through that, people are being uplifted. Maybe one of the reasons why we have such a bad taste in our mouth about dissension is because we all mainly are just spending our time arguing about our opinion about something instead of going back to what God has said and what God has done. There seems to be maybe a need that they take a break from the debate to go back to the praising together. It was one of the refreshing things of going to two different conferences that I've gone to lately with the G3 and also for the Together for the Gospel. There's a lot of singing going on. There's a lot of proclamation going on of praise as we work out these challenges in the church and think these challenges through. There's these constant reminders to us that it is God that has said these things, but it is also God who is doing these things. It is not centered on our work by our own hands, and it is definitely not centered by our own opinions. And then I love the response that they have there in verse 12. It says, and all the assembly fell silent. When it brought it back down to the basics, back down to the core of what it is all about, there was a silence. There there couldn't be an argument at that point. That is the truth. When we get so far removed from focusing in on what it is supposed to be, I don't think silence was the next word there, but it's a good one there. (laughs) Sometimes, I know in our home, it is just necessary. We have to just say, you know what? No talking. But here the response was silence because it helps us just to think about what is really true. When the truth is laid out for us in very clear terms as Peter did it, we need to chew on that. We need to dwell on that. So as James replied, brothers, listen to me. He breaks the silence, and what does he do? He goes back to the word of God. He goes back to the Old Testament. He appeals to the party of the Pharisees, who's pointing back to Moses, but he helps clarify what needs to be clarified so that they may be rooted on the right path, that the word of Moses and the word of, I think, Jeremiah here is pointing us back to what God is going to do by rebuilding the tent of David, and the Gentiles will be a part of that. And it's not going to be because they basically become Old Testament Jews. It's because it's going to be built upon 
the work of Jesus Christ. Now, here is a kind of a confusing thing for us that we see very clearly all the way to verse 17 that the debate is solidifying and clarifying that we are saved through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And it's not going to be through the works of the law that it's a yoke wrongly put upon people to tell them to go back to the law of Moses for their salvation. But then in verse 19, it says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from things that have been strangled and from blood and from ancient generations. Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Well, that's a mouthful as it is, but it's also kind of confusing because we're thinking, what is he exactly is he talking about here? Well, this sounds like what? Works. It sounds like the Old Testament law. Just as soon as James gets through saying, yeah, this has always been God's intent that the Gentiles would be saved. I'm agreeing with Peter here. Circumcision is not necessary. Adhering to the law of God is not going to save you. So it's a burden falsely put. Let's just write them a letter. Let's just encourage them and encourage them to obey the law and to abstain from sexual immorality. And we look at that and we go, whoa, whoa. Do we miss something here? Is there a a section here? This is the other component that we need to see when we think about the church. That when we see the church is not just there to proclaim, it's not there just to praise, but it's also there to be a shepherd. Some of the passages we were hearing of earlier to help teach. It's to be a pastor to help people with what they are dealing with. What we may be missing here in understanding is what kind of group of people are they particularly trying to help out? Is this just general Christians, or what kind of Christians in particular are they trying to help out here? Struggling Christians? Struggling, it's a little more general, a little bit more specific. In this context of this scripture, they're new. Why why are they new, and what kind of new Christians? Gentiles, they're Gentile new Christians that are struggling. <laughs> they are those who are, have a certain kind of background behind them. What kind of things do you, can you maybe ascertain from what James is saying that these Gentile Christians, that their culture may be causing them to stumble in? Idol worship and sexual immorality. James is not changing what he's saying. He's not contradicting what he's saying. In a sense, if you look at what's being said here, after Paul and Barnabas has debated it, and others has debated it, and as Peter has made his speech, and now James has made his speech, I believe that from what we can gather at that particular point in time, the issue of their salvation is not the issue of what's in question anymore. It's an issue of their sanctification. That wasn't the other S word either, but I don't know where it is. It's out there somewhere. (laughs) It's an issue of pastoring them in their particular need. 
There are things contextually going on here that these new Gentile Christians, they need particular help in. It's not about their salvation. They are moved on from that, I believe, to say not to trouble them with getting them all confused about trying to adhere to the law for the sake of their salvation. But they're participating likely in things that are stumbling blocks for them in their faith. Now, to make the matter even more confusing for us is that we have the book of Romans. In Romans 14, Paul talks about eating meat sacrificed to idols. And what does he tell the the church in Romans to do about that? What's the attitude in the general consensus and conclusion that he tells them how to do? Not ask questions about it, but if it's if you if you know that it, that it is a meat for my worship to avoid it, so you don't. Um, he makes it more of a matter of personal conscience. It's one of the passages that we go to when it comes to Christian liberty. He's not seemingly to me making as big of a deal about it as James is saying. He's saying, you know, if, if, look, look at it in a broader context and you're going to have to put some discernment in there about how it's affecting the body around you. He's kind of going in a different direction and it's a very similar circumstance. So we see when we put those particular things together, when it's kind of like the, the, the GPS, when we like, okay, well, this road says here. It's like, okay, we're getting closer to the actual place. When it comes to meat being sacrificed to idols and participating in that, here in the particular context for these Gentiles, James pastorally sees that it's going to be a stumbling block to them. But we get clarification through the word of God that it's not that particular act that is a sin to eat something that has been sacrificed to idols. Definitely is wrong to be sacrificing to idols. We see that very clear throughout all of scripture. It is definitely wrong to be worshiping false gods. But the question in the matter is, is to be participating in this culture in this way. Well, for these particular Gentiles, that was going to be challenging. So there had to be a knowledge that James had that this particular instruction would help them but that Paul gives us actually additional, not contrary, but additional information of how to deal that more broadly amongst the Christian church. The other thing was sexual immorality. What particular passage in the Bible does Paul explain that it's not as big of a deal to be involved in sexual immorality? Jennifer's giving me this really weird scowl. <laughs> what are you talking about? The scowl is well received. There is not another passage in the scriptures that lessens the concern about sexual immorality. So when we look at these things, these are not two of the same levels of, how to, of, of, of sin and issues. There are actually two different things going on here. One is a weakness that's going on culturally for this group of people. The other is just flat out a moral sin. There is nothing else in scripture that articulates for us that it's occasionally okay to be involved in sexual immorality. And so we see that through the scriptures, and we can come to understand that. So we see this particular passage to be particularly pastoral. I remember when I was young, 
And in college, I went to King College, I was a commuter, and um, my brother, he got, I can't remember if it was a Sega or what it was, and there was this particular game that was a motorcycle racing game, and you're racing, but it's not just racing, you're beating people up as you're going along. So it just kind of added, you know, racing wasn't interesting enough, you've got to have chains and guns and stuff to beat up the other competitors. I got to a point where I was skipping class to play this game on a fairly regularly basis. I'm like, you know, this is, I'm going to go ahead. I'm, I'm going to miss. All right. You know, maybe four or five times. It's a lot this <laughs> class for that reason. And I got to the point where I was like, you know what? If I want to get out of here, I got to just quit playing that game. That game is, I, I can't even do that game. I got to, you know what? I'm going to leave the video game thing along. Period. Now, for me, was playing the video game a sin? Well, it was making sense. Right. It was, the, it was the avenue in which I was involved in not considering my responsibilities. So for me, in my conscience in that moment, based upon our broader context, it was leading me to stumbling. So the best thing for me to do is say, no, let's not do it. And I, my kids would say, well, maybe we can understand why now you're so against video games. <laughs> now, I let them, but I also caution them as I try to shepherd them in the home. And as the mother in our home tries to say, yeah, there's some places where this can be very much a stumbling block, but it's not in of itself a sin. And that's a similar situation here with Paul as he's saying that, you know, there's, there's nothing in the eating of meat from idols that has anything in of it that's sin. But there's some broader context here, especially for these immature Gentiles, that if they're participating in this kind of thing, it is likely going to cause them to stumble. So it's important for us to see what's going on in the fullness. This is meant to be an introduction to chapter 15. But these are blessed ways. These are things that we know that are rightly held in our home. We cannot apply every situation. We hear from our children all the time, Mom, Dad, you didn't do it that way with them. Or they, I was 12 before I could do this, and now they're 8 and they get to do this. And it's like, well, there's no exact perfect rule. It's a matter of parenting, pastoring, shepherding, and not knowing for sure exactly sometimes what is the perfect answer. But then there's other things that we do. We're like, absolutely, this is not going to happen. It's not okay for you to lie to your brother and sister unless it's with gifts. You know, like, you know, well, that's not for you. (laughs) Which is, you know, following through on the greater aspect of the royal law. So as we consider these things, I want us to look at how the Lord has provided and shown us in this passage, because it's starting to get a little bit more broad with how the church is coming together. He has provided us this wonderful nurturing and encouraging church, a structure, a gathering, an organization, an institution. Most of us would say that our mothers are a wonderful thing. And even if they're frail and even if they're weak and sinful, we still have this longing love for them for how they have nurtured us and brought us to a place of life. The church is in the same way. It is not in its perfection. It has not come to its full arrival to the location that the Lord has prepared for us, but it is there to nurture us and guide us 
And we can see that there is a diversity to how it's going. But in throughout and interwoven to this, it is to bring us great joy, not to just the life and the sustaining elements of what we have in our earthly life, but the joy of where all this began is of our salvation. That throughout all of this passage and throughout this whole work that they're doing, it is to remind us and to increase in us this great celebration that we have been saved by grace, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And just as a mother feeds us, God in this church feeds us. We've been given this table as a nurturing reminder that has an effect in us, that brings us a nurturing of holding on to what is really saving us. It is not circumcision. It is not works. It is not the law, but it is the one who obeyed the law. It is not tossing off obedience to the character of God, to living out the things that the law teaches us, but it is to celebrate the one who was able to do what we could not do and who saved our soul. And out of obedience by his command, we are called to come and to eat and to remember the essence of our salvation and to proclaim it until he returns. And the ordinary and normative response of that should be great joy. We cannot come to this table without recognizing our need for it. So there must be repentance. The law has to be presented to us to understand that we need this table. And we need the one who did obey the law. And so we come and we eat and we feast and we are filled and we are nourished. And we should leave here with one an understanding that it is Jesus Christ in whom we are saved. And we should come from here with great joy that that is so. Let us pray. Our Heavenly